to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Trade Deadline Preview Podcast. I'm Sats Mundine here with Lebda's Legacy. How's it going, everyone? And we're going to take a look at the Leafs trade deadline possibilities. So first, we're going to start off by looking at their cap situation. Then we're going to look at the potential things that they have to trade, what they might have to give up to clear some cap space. Then we'll go into some potential guys who we think the Leafs should, could, and have been rumored to target. So Lebda, what are you thinking about the trade deadline this year? Yeah, I think it's a very, very exciting time to be a Leafs fan. It's kind of one of those years where I know I definitely think they should go all in. And I'm not saying sell the entire farm, but definitely go all in and make a push for the playoffs because they're never going to have an easier run to the uh, to the cup finals or at least the semifinals this year. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what Kyle Dubas is going to do. And I'm excited to talk with you about what uh, we think he should do. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of possibilities, a lot of areas they could add. They could look to add a forward, depth defenseman, goalie, a lot of different things, and they do have a lot of assets to trade. So without further ado, let's uh, let's get into the Leafs cap situation first. Now, where they sit right now, they would be projected to have $1.1 million free for the trade deadline, which obviously doesn't give them a ton of room to add any pieces or anything like that. So if we're making a deal to get a big a big name like Taylor Hall or someone like that, who's getting paid $8 million. They're either going to need some salary tension from the other team, as well as probably sending a guy the other way, maybe someone like an Alex Kerfoot who's making $3.5 million. Or they may have to look into uh, putting someone like Frederick Anderson on long-term injured reserve, which would clear his $5 million in cap space. Yeah, so the least having $1.1 million, obviously that's probably not enough for whatever player you're trying to add. But like you said, with Taylor Hall, if you're looking at Taylor Hall, Buffalo retaining 50% or Buffalo retaining a portion of that, maybe another team um, retaining a portion as well, getting that down to 4 million. That means all we would have to send the other way to get the contracts even is Alex Kerfoot. So it is nice to kind of just have that $1 million buffer there. Um, and yeah, like you said, Fred Anderson would save us five million in cap space. Um, Fred Anderson also only makes one million dollars this year in real money. He got a signing bonus at the beginning of the year, so that also could maybe be enticing for a team looking to save a bit of money. I'm thinking Arizona in a trade for either a Darcy Kemper or an Anti Ranta type deal. So yeah, there is quite a few ways where the Leafs can clear up a decent amount of cap space and add a big piece. Yeah, definitely. And they do have quite a few pieces to trade as well. So obviously the things everybody talks about is the prospects and the draft pick. They do have all of their draft picks this year, except for their third rounder. So they have a full, full complement of picks to trade as well as all of their picks next year. Now, as far as prospects, they have a pretty clear cut top three to four prospects. So they have Nick Robertson, Rasmus Sandin, Rodion Amarov, and Timothy Lilligren, all who are either elite level prospects or very close to the NHL. And they, if we're trading one of those guys, in my opinion, you absolutely have to be getting a guy who is a clear first liner or a top level defenseman with, with a little bit of term. Yeah. To be honest for those guys, I I don't even know if any of the trade targets that the Leafs are interested in or could realistically get, but even 
cost you one of the go- those guys or the Leafs would be willing to give away. Honestly, the only one, and we'll talk about him a little bit later, that I'd be willing to give up is Philip Forsberg just because he does have that extra year and he's a fantastic player. Um, but like Taylor Hall shouldn't cost you that. A bunch of the other guys we're going to talk about shouldn't cost you that. So yeah, those top four guys are... Like Kyle Dubas did come out and say that he's willing to move them, but the player coming back in a trade where you move one of those guys is going to be a very, very good hockey player. Yeah, I think if he's making a trade like that, it's probably going to be a kind of trade that was out of left field where we didn't see it coming Mm -hmm. because you're going to have to get an elite talent to give up one of those guys. Now, after that, if we're looking at the least prospect pool, the next level of guys would kind of include Nick Abruzzi, Topi Nimala, Philip Hallander, Roni Hervinen, Mikhail Abramov. So there's a, a decent amount of guys that they don't project quite to be like surefire top six forwards, top four D, anything like that. But they do have the chance to become that. But there's also just not that level of certainty. So those are the kind of guys where I'd feel more comfortable trading because guys like uh, Robertson, Sandin, and Amarov, if you can get those guys to play for your NHL team in the next year or two, they're going to be making an entry-level contract, which means they're going to be making under a million dollars a year. And as a team that's capped out like the Leafs to have guys who can contribute in your top nine forwards or top four D that are making that little money, that's going to be absolutely huge. Yeah. I think kind of those, I guess we'll probably refer to them as kind of your B level prospects. Obviously you don't want to just get rid of them for nothing, but those are the guys that I see the Leafs being will, willing to give one, two, even maybe three up to uh, kind of do what they want to do at the deadline because of exactly what you said. Maybe those guys uh, take a big development curve, head up, and become a top six forward for the Leafs in a number of years. But chances are that maybe only one of them does, and chances are even none of them do. So those are kind of the guys the Leafs are definitely going to be a lot more willing to move because we are the Leafs. We usually can find either veteran or Kyle Dubas and his um, kind of staff are very smart at finding those one one times one players that give you tremendous value. So the Leafs really probably aren't too worried about those third line, fourth line um, players coming into their system because they can usually find those in free agency for a discounted price. Yeah, exactly. If you look at the guys like Spezza, Thornton, even Travis Boyd, Bogosian, those kind of guys that those aren't the hard guys to acquire. It's the guys that are in your top six that are hard to acquire. And then that's why losing like a Sandine who could potentially be a top four D man for us very soon. That's going to hurt the cap sheet going forward. But those, those bottom six guys, those are easier to get. So if I'm the Leafs, I'm looking to give more of a quantity over quality package to a team, give, you know, give them four quarters instead of a loony. So now looking at the roster, Lebda, what do you think is, is a really high priority for the Leafs to acquire at the deadline here? So I think the priorities have kind of always been a top six forward uh, for the Leafs. They're definitely looking to add on to that, whether that is on the Matthews line or the Tavares line. The emergence of Alex Galchenyuk kind of makes the Leafs a little bit more flexible on that. Um, and Zach Hyman obviously is on that first line, has been playing very well. Um, so maybe their needs have shifted there, but I still think they're going to look to acquire a top six forward. Now, what I think their biggest need is definitely in net. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now you could say I got like if Campbell's going to be this solid and he was going to play every game, sure it wouldn't be as big of a need. But with him being an injury risk, with Fred's injuries and poor performance lately, it's just in my opinion too much of a risk to go into the playoffs with just Jack Campbell knowing that 
at any day he could need a maintenance day or he could just be out for a significant period like he's been a couple times this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Jack Campbell injury definitely should make the Leafs worried and probably does make them worried. And they're they're going to need to, whether they find a backup for Jack Campbell, because let's face it, Jack Campbell's not losing his net right now, but they do need someone that's not named Michael Hutchinson to play some games down the road and provide a little bit of insurance for either Jack Campbell or for Jack Campbell and Fred Anderson. Yeah, exactly. And we covered a lot of this in the, in the previous podcast about goaltending. We've kind of noted some targets that we would like to acquire. We, we're not definitely advocating to, to go and get a surefire number one, give up a ton of assets to get a guy. But if you can get a guy like Linus Allmark, you can get a Jonathan Bernier, a Ranta, someone like that who may only cost you either a second round pick, a third and a fifth, something like that, just to shore up the depth in net, it would be absolutely huge for us. Yeah, we definitely talked a lot about goalies kind of on a previous podcast, so we won't go too, too much in depth with them. Kind of the names you already said are probably what we're going to kind of talk about uh, as far as goaltending, and that's who we uh, kind of think the Leafs should go after. I think the Leafs might try and explore a deal where they acquire one of their other needs, whether it is a top six forward, a depth defenseman, and get a goalie as kind of an add-on in that trade and just kind of do a a little like two-for-one trade there. Um, but yeah, goaltending definitely needs to, uh, to be addressed. And there's something I, I, I will definitely say is there've been a few people I've heard in the mainstream media advocating for getting a guy like Brian Elliott or uh, Carter Hutton or uh, Devin Dubnik. I wish they would look at the last two years stats before they did this, because none of these guys have a save percentage over 900 this year. None of them did last year. So that's not that's not shoring up the position. That's just adding another Michael Hutchinson. If we're going to do it, it has to be for a guy who has at least a bit of a track record and is performing this year because you can't you can't risk your team's performance on hoping some 35-year-old can recover the form he had three years ago. No, especially if Fred Anderson's uncertainty, Brian Elliott is not going to be the least backup. They're, they're not like they're not going to waste salary space and they're not going to waste any assets. Like unless Brian Elliott ends up on waivers, maybe they claim him a guy like that. But I just I, I don't see the Leafs doing it. I just it, it just doesn't make sense. I think one guy um, we haven't talked about or didn't talk about, sorry, on our goalie podcast was uh, Chris Drieger, who is now looking like he's become available. That's another very, very solid option. Comes cheap. He's been very good the last two years. Limited game time, but I think that's someone the Leafs should definitely be interested in. They're probably making a few calls about Chris Drieger right now. Yeah, and he's a UFA after the year, so they wouldn't even have to protect him. No. And so, like we said, that's the most important thing that we both think they need to get, and it's probably not the one that's going to cost the most. Now, moving on to what I would say is the second biggest priority, and I would say that is another top six winger. Like you said, Galchenyuk has been very good in his limited sample size in that second line, and they've looked a lot better. But I think that just goes to show you how important it could be to add a real elite-level player on the onto that line. Yeah, absolutely. Alex Galchenyuk has done a very, very good job. And uh, it just goes to show kind of the formula what the Maple Leafs have there. So basically, what I think they should do is just look for an upgrade on Galchenyuk. Find a very similar player, highly skilled, can score goals, can, can, you know, a decent skater, can keep up with John Tavares and Willie Nylander, just Alex Galchenyuk plus. Just a little bit more, you know, high end to the Alex Galchenyuk uh, kind of package. Yeah, definitely, because getting another guy, it covers you for two things. It covers you, one, for Galchenyuk maybe not playing to this level for the rest of the year, and two, 
if you're going to make it through four rounds of the playoffs, you need some depth. There's going to be some injuries. So to get another guy in there and then that slot Skalchenyuk down to the fourth line, maybe with Spezza and Simmons or Spezza and Thornton, a line where you could really feel like you can give them some easy competition and then get, get some scoring out of your fourth line. And then at the same time, if one of your top six gets injured, then you know, okay, I can pull Galchenyuk up there and we probably won't be lacking too much. Yeah, exactly. The Leafs kind of created a formula for themselves. Uh, so now that I think they just need to find a bit of an upgrade, Galchenyuk can probably slot back down either on that third or fourth line, probably the fourth line, just the way kind of Keith likes to just um, deploy his guys. And then, yeah, anyone in the top six gets hurt. You know, you have a, a kind of a very skillful winger ready to jump up and, uh, kind of add to uh, the top six without taking away too, too much. Yeah. And if you get another solid top six winger, then I think Keefe would at least hopefully trust that second line a little more and start playing them more in the 18 to 20 minute a night range. So if, if that's the scenario, then your, your first two lines are covering between 40 and 44 minutes a game, which means you've only got to allocate 16 minutes to the bottom six. You know, Jason Spezza can cover 10 of those minutes. So even if the Engvall, Mikheyev, if the third guy on that line isn't quite to the standard that a Zach Hyman is, it's okay because you're only giving them eight minutes a game and you could probably trust them if you're, if you give them at least a somewhat reliable partner on that line. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of depending on what the Leafs do with their cap situation, like if Fred goes on LTIR and you clear up that $5 million of space, you can add Taylor Hall's salary retained and not give up Alex Kerfoot the other way. And then you have Alex Kerfoot on that third line, maybe fourth line, depending on how you want to roll it. And then you have three very, very good lines, a bit more of a shutdown third line. And then your fourth line with like Thornton, Spezza, and Galchenyuk. I mean, that's a that's a nice, nice fourth line. And all those guys can play up and through the lineup if injuries happen. You have a couple guys ready to jump in onto that fourth line as well. So yeah, I, I really like um, the Leafs going after a, a big, big name top six forward. Yeah, and then with regards to that fourth line too, if you if you have Simmons, sorry, not Simmons, if you have Galchenyuk with Thornton and Spezza on that line, Joe Thornton is a great example. He, Him and Spezza, they're not the greatest defensive players at this point in their career. They're not great in transition, but they are very skilled in the offensive zone. So you could give that line, you could give them cushy starts in the offensive zone, let Thornton work some passes, and then you got a strong shooter like Galchenyuk on that line. That could provide some really good secondary scoring for us. Now, looking at the last potential area where I think the Leafs could add, I think it could be another def- defenseman. Because right now, if you look at the depth, after the top six of, you've obviously got Hall, Muzzin, Riley, Brody, Bogosian, and Dermott. That's a solid top six. But after that, it does go off a cliff a little bit. You've got Martin Marincin, who I don't think anybody wants to see in a playoff game again. And then after that, you're kind of looking at your Sandines, your Liljegrens. So I think it would be a good idea to maybe add one more number seven, number eight defenseman, just in case somebody gets hurt or you need to mix something up in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's rather unfortunate that Sandine got hurt this year because I think we would have seen him play some NHL games. The Leafs can then figure out whether he could potentially be that kind of depth defenseman if someone does go down in the playoffs. But if Sandine doesn't get any NHL game time before the playoffs, it's going to be really, really difficult for the Leafs just to throw him in. So yeah, another basically what we're looking at is another Zach Bogosian. Guy making $1 million or less can fill in not, I mean, Bogosian's not the greatest, but he hasn't been horrible, horrible this year. Someone that just can, you know, fill a gap. Yeah, cover cover 10 to 15 minutes a night against some easier competition and just don't get shelled, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And then one, if one of our top four kind of 
goes out injured, I think Travis Dermott is the guy to step up. I think he, you know, he's good defensively. He can handle some more minutes. Uh, so yeah, so I think getting a guy for that bottom kind of pairing, if anyone gets hurt, is uh, is ideal for the Leafs. Yeah, so with that being said, we'll take a quick break here, and then we're going to get into the forward group. We'll cover a bunch of names that we would like to see the Leafs target, and then after that, we'll take a look at some defenders and go from there. All right, now let's dive into the forwards. So first thing we're going to do is look at the elite tier guys, the guys who we think could be real game breakers for the Leafs. Uh, So the first one's kind of obvious. His name's been in the news all the time, in the media. He's uh, 29 years old. He's making $8 million a year, and his name's Taylor Hall. Now, what would you think of acquiring him, Lebda? I think, so we're going to talk about kind of the elite guys here, the guys that are definite top six players. All of them are probably first-line players in the NHL right now. I think out of all those guys, Taylor Hall is my only one that I think, one, is very, very realistic, and two, that I'm actually willing to give up kind of the price for him. He's just, he's definitely on a down year in Buffalo, but he's playing in Buffalo. Anything that happens in Buffalo, it doesn't count. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, you look back at a couple years ago, he dragged a terrible, terrible New Jersey team to the playoffs. NHL MVP like he's still a fantastic fantastic hockey player and from the sounds of it his price isn't going to be too too high either no and you say you can't count what happens in Buffalo which is a very valid point but at the same time it's not like he's playing that bad he's still driving play at an extremely elite level he's got 54% of the possession while he's on the ice which is 7% better than his team And he's got, as of Sunday, he had 17 points in 33 games. Now, you might look at that and say, well, he hasn't been very good. But that's with two goals, and he's only shooting 2.5%. Now, his career average shooting percentage is actually over 10%. So, realistically, he probably should have eight goals right now. You can chalk that up mostly to luck, whatever is in the water in Buffalo, whatever that might be. And he's just he's such a clearly elite talent. Guys like this don't come around often at the price that is being reported. Now, I've heard that Buffalo initially was looking for a, a first rounder and like a prospect, not even a high level prospect, but just a prospect. And I've even heard it floated that they might end up having to give him away for a second and a prospect. Now, I don't know if that's due to the fact that his numbers are so skewed by by his bad luck, or if that's due to the fact that a lot of teams can't afford to take on salary right now, or what it might be, but to be able to get a guy who is a clear, clear elite first line forward at the at a low price like that, it's the no-brainer move. Yeah, kind of the rumors have been a second-round pick and a prospect. If you're the Leafs, you're you're giving up a first-round pick and a prospect for him. You're not giving up one of the top four guys because that's not his price. But you, you're very willing to do that, especially if Buffalo retains. Uh, Taylor Hall also has a no-trade clause, so he can pick and choose what he wants to go. Um, so... There is maybe potentially an issue with that, but he is from Ontario. And with that said, I was listening to the uh, staff and graph podcast the other day, and they did mention they, this was kind of a bit of hearsay on their part, but they did say that they've heard rumors that Taylor Hall wants to go to Toronto. And if that's the case and you can get him for a good price, it's a no brainer. Now the, another benefit of trading for Taylor Hall is that another guy on his team, Linus Allmark is a goalie. We've talked about a lot. You know, he's got a career save percentage at 9-12, which is slightly above average. He's been healthy this year. With the way Buffalo's played, he's still had a 9-16 save percentage. So if you can get that package, those two make a combined 10.6 million against the cap. If you could 
get Buffalo to eat half of Taylor Hall's salary, you're getting that down to 6.6 million. So all you basically have to do at that point is LTIR Fred and throw Kerfoot in the deal and you have more than enough space to get it done. Yeah, I think the Leafs can kind of wiggle their way to getting the salaries to work on this. If that if that rumor's true and Taylor Hall wants to come to Toronto, who knows how, you know, how many other teams he wants to go. If he only wants to go to Toronto, his price could come down even a little bit more. And then it's just about giving enough assets for Buffalo to eat the salary. But yeah, like just looking at Taylor Hall this year, like his expected goals for are off the charts. Uh, his Corsi four, very, very good again. So he's clearly still driving play this year. It's just purely puck luck, kind of like what you said earlier. And another area where he really excels is the power play. And although we have oodles of elite talent, our power play is struggling. So to add another guy like him with his abilities definitely couldn't hurt. Yeah, leads the N- I just read this, leads the NHL in high danger passes. That's exactly kind of right in the Leafs alley. That's something the Leafs definitely look for on offense. We've talked about it a bunch. Um, and if those high danger passes are going to William Nylander and John Tavares instead of whatever bums he's playing with in Buffalo, I'm going to guess that he's going to have more, more assists than he's had so far. Yeah, if he comes to Toronto, that shooting percentage is going gonna, is gonna to kind of skyrocket, re- rebound, regress back to the norm a little bit. Yeah, I think Taylor yeah, like Hall... Yeah, if he came in... I was going to say, I think Taylor Hall is the absolute perfect player for the Leafs to acquire this year. Yeah, it's it's an absolute no-brainer. And then if you look at the Leafs lineup, if you throw him in there, so you keep Hyman on that first line, obviously that's arguably the best line in hockey. And then you throw you throw Taylor Hall on that second line, you're looking at two of the top, probably 10 lines in hockey right there. You give those guys 40 minutes a night, and then you go to Alex, like that fourth line we talked about earlier, and then you just have a third line that, that can keep their heads above water. I don't think I see any team in the North really standing a chance against that. No, like that John Tavares line, Willie Nylander line, they've been good at it all season, but especially lately at driving the play, driving possession, driving the expected goals. If you add another player who's one of the best players in the lead at uh, in the league at all that stuff, that line is just insane. Like that's such a such a good hockey line. So with that being said, I'd say although the price is apparently a first rounder and a prospect, like to be honest, I would be willing to give two prospects if I had to. I don't even think it's going to cost that much. I don't know if that's the price. I don't know why the deal hasn't been done already, potentially because teams are trying to wait out the cap and accrue more cap space as we go. But if Dubas can get them for that, it's honestly, it's a no brainer. Now, moving on to the next forward, these, these other elite guys, they're, they're a bit more unrealistic, but they have, some of them have been rumored. Some of them just play for bad teams and it, it could be something worth looking into, but these guys are probably going to cost you one of your top four prospects, which makes it tougher to swallow because these guys do have term. And with that said, the first guy, probably the most unrealistic one of all now is Philip Forsberg. Yeah. Kind of Nashville has taken a little bit of a turn for, uh, for the best here. Now, a lot of that is kind of PDO driven. So whether it's a real turn for the best or not, they're still in a playoff fight. The GM's probably looking at it saying, well, Philip Forsberg, has another year left after this one. Why would I give him up? So the price is going to be just, I think the price is going to be too high for the Leafs, but this is a name that has been rumored. Lots of Leaf fans on Twitter have been talking about him. So I think it is worthwhile kind of taking a little bit of a look at Philip Forsberg. But yeah, that price, like we are giving up one of our top three prospects for Philip Forsberg, no matter what. Yeah, and it's easy to see why people want him, right? He's got 29 points in 34 games this year. He's a very good possession player, very good 
in so many different aspects of the game. And he, he just brings that skill level that would, it, it would be like Taylor Hall. Like I'd say they're very similar players. Some might even argue Forsberg is better, but the reason that Taylor Hall is so much more of an attractive asset is that he's going to cost like a third of what Forsberg is going to cost. I think at this point with, with the way Nashville stands in the playoff race, they might even be looking to add at this point. So I don't think they're letting Philip Forsberg go for anything. That's less than a huge mistake by the other GM. And David Poyle is reportedly quite a shrewd negotiator. So, yeah, I just, it's just something I don't see happening. It's one of those ones where if we recorded this podcast three weeks ago, we'd be talking about the Leafs getting Philip Forsberg is a very realistic thing. I just think now kind of the way the league has shifted, it's just not as realistic anymore. No, absolutely. And another guy kind of in the same ilk, although his team is nowhere near the playoffs, is Thomas Hurdle. He's 27 years old. He's getting $5.6 million for the next two years. And he's clearly a first-line forward. Yeah, if you're looking at Thomas Hurdle, like San Jose, you know, obviously they're not doing anything this year. They're probably not going to do anything for a little bit. They're probably in kind of staring down the face of a rebuild. Uh, Thomas Hurdle is definitely the most attractive piece on that team. Uh, he's an elite goal scorer, so I think, boom, right on that Tavares line, give Tavares and Willie another guy to feed the puck to and bang goals in. Um, I think he'd be a very, very good fit. I think aside from Taylor Hall, Thomas Hurd is probably my second choice. I just don't know how realistic the trade is, and I think the price will be very, very high on Thomas Hurdle. Yeah, I do think the price would be high, but to be honest, I think San Jose would be smart to sell because with the, with the contracts they've got, it looks like they're going to be in a rebuild for a very long time. So I think they should definitely be trying to exchange him for assets for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Now he's got 10 goals, 10 assists, 20 points in 30 in 27 games this year. And he's got 130 points in his last 152 games. Like you said, he's an elite shooter. He's got a career shooting percentage of 13%. He's a very solid possession player. So the price would be hefty, but he is one of the rare guys where if you're getting him for two years, you would consider moving a Robertson and Amarov, one of those elite level prospects. It's just a matter of how many it would cost, right? Like you're not going to give up multiple of those guys, but if you could get them for any of the top four prospects in a first rounder, I think it's definitely something you you would have to consider, especially if San Jose might be willing to eat that, eat half of that cap hit to get it down to about 3 million. The Leafs are in a better position than they've ever been to have a chance to win the cup. So if you can get a guy like this and throw him on your lineup, I think you do it if the price is right. The question is just whether that price will be right. Yeah, I think with Thomas Hurdle, he's kind of one of those guys where he still has a year left on his contract after this one. I could see him being more of a summer kind of deal. San Jose could probably get a little bit more value for him than when teams have a little bit more space. You know, maybe a team just lost out on a free agent. They're willing to, you know, give that extra pick or prospect to San Jose to get Thomas Hurdle. But yeah, I, I love Thomas Hurdle. Like I said, I already said, Taylor, aside from Taylor Hall, he's probably my second choice. He offers a little bit more defense than kind of Philip Forsberg or Taylor Hall do. So that's another thing to maybe make a little bit of a note of, but yeah, there's not really too many negatives with Thomas Hurdle. No, absolutely not. And then another guy, this is a guy who'd be a bit more of a long-term piece. He plays for another terrible team, which is Detroit. It's Anthony Mantha. So he's 26 years old, making 5.7 million for the, for this year. And then three more. So, you know, the price on him is going to be substantial because he's a very good player. He's, he's only got 17 points this year but he's always been a solid possession player and he continues to be. Now, the reason that we considered him is because he's kind of, looks like he's had a bit of a run-in with the coach in Detroit. Yeah, I don't know if this has kind of been sorted out lately. I've been following Detroit as much as 
you know, maybe some other. People. I mean, why would anyone follow Detroit, why, right? You know, why, why watch Detroit hockey unless you're a Detroit fan? But yeah, I know at the beginning of the year, Anthony Mantha was kind of getting played in some weird minutes. I think he got demoted to the fourth line, um, stuff like that. So just wasn't getting along with the coach. If you're looking at Detroit from Anthony Mantha's perspective, if you're not really getting along with the coach, um, then there's kind of no real point to playing. Uh, for the Detroit Red Wings, but he is making 5.7 for three more years. So there's pretty much no way Detroit's going to eat any salary on that for those three years. So I think that is just another one where fantastic, fantastic hockey player. The Leafs are just going to struggle a little bit um, to make the salary work. Yeah, it's not, it's not an extremely likely one. It's kind of a pie in the sky scenario, but if you could find a way to say, get them to take back Freddie Anderson or you just LTIR Fred, it would be really interesting because this year has been a bit of a down year. But if you look at his previous years in his career, he's had excellent impacts in Corsi for Corsi against. He's just a solid, solid offensive player, solid defensive player. He's an all around guy and he would be an amazing fit on that second line as well. And it would, it would also be some good Zach Hyman insurance. If Zach Hyman's price is too high, you replace him with Anthony Mantha. That's 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 probably an upgrade, to be honest. Uh, it's I love Zach Hyman. He's one of my favorite players on the Leafs. Anthony Mantha is an upgrade on Zach Hyman. There's no arguing that. So yeah. So with that said, the pre- like if you can get if you can get the cap space with with Freddie out, out in the deal, and then you you know you it's kind of a similar thing to what I'd offer for her. I'd offer them one of our top four prospects, a first round pick. It'd be a tough pill to swallow to get rid of one of those guys, but when you can get an elite talent like that locked in at a fair price for the next three years, it definitely would be would be something I'd look into. Now, the last guy, he's he's a real wild card. He's um, I could see him getting traded though, and that's Johnny Gaudreau. Twenty seven years old, making six point seven five million through next year, so quite a hefty salary. But everybody knows that Daryl Sutter does not like him. He's uh, he's not exactly a Daryl Sutter type player, so I could definitely see him being traded. Now, he has had a bit of a down year. Um, he's got 26 points in 36 games, which, you know, is still very good, but it's it's not up to the typical standard of Johnny Gaudreau. As far as advanced stats go, he's been a little bit below his level this year. Uh, he's at 51% possession, which is slightly below average for him, but you could see that kind of rebounding if you put him in a better position. Maybe if he's not playing under coaches, he doesn't enjoy playing for his expected goals for is still very good. So he's clearly still having an impact on offense and his defensive impacts are not really negative. He also does really, really well on the power play. Yeah. I think this is clearly just a player having a bit of a down year, mostly due to coaching, especially when that coaching change happened. Calgary is not another kind of not great situation to be in right now. So you do kind of understand a player like Johnny Gaudreau, who's always been kind of the odd odd man out. You know, Calgary media hasn't really loved him and stuff like that. He's always kind of dealt with that, similar to the kind of like the way Willie Nylander's treated in Toronto. Um, but yeah, still a fantastic hockey player. Unfortunately, the Leafs traded Mason Marchman. So, you know, that would have been a one for one right there. So, you know. Get that toughness, baby. You know, that's a Daryl Saudi hockey player right there. But, but yeah, as far as a package for... Um, Johnny Goodrow looks. I think the Leafs would only do it if they got him at you know a nice discount. I just, I just don't see him being as good of a fit as kind of either Thomas Hurdle or uh, Taylor Hall. 
but definitely, you know, still an elite hockey player that could really add to the Leafs top six. Yeah, exactly. If he was the Johnny Gaudreau of two, three years ago, when he's putting up almost a hundred points, definitely I'd be willing to give that stuff up. But last year was also a bit of a down year. He only had 58 points in 70 games. And then this year has kind of continued that trend. So it is a bit worrisome. Uh, so I, with that said, it, it, I give up a similar package to what I'd give for Hall. Yeah, where absolutely. I wouldn't give one of those top four prospects, but if Calgary would take a first a first round pick and then maybe a couple B level prospects, and then they take some take Anderson or they they eat half something like that to make the cap situation work, mm-hmm. then I would be happy to do it. But yeah, he's not a he's not one of those prime assets like a like a hurdle like a Forsberg like a Mantha where you're willing to give up one of the big four. So now that's about it for the elite tier one guys that that are potentially possible. So on to tier two, a guy that's been talked about a lot by the media who is looking less and less likely by the day is Michael Granlin. Now he's 29 years old. He's making three and a half million this year. And he was rumored to be, the least were rumored to be interested in him in the off season. And again, this year, but Nashville's like we said with Forsberg, they've played their way back into the playoff race where they're probably not going to let him go unless it's for something of an overpayment. Yeah, I think with Mikel Granlin, he's probably the most likely out of Ekholm, Forsberg, and himself to be dealt just because he only is getting or is only under contract for the rest of this year. Whereas the other two have a year left, so they can either be traded at the summer if Nashville's looking to change things or at the deadline next year so they don't lose him for nothing. So I think if you are looking at someone from Nashville, this is probably the most likely one. Obviously, he's not the same player as Philip Forsberg. He's more of, you know, second line, third line kind of guy but he's a good passer he's got good possession numbers um and that's this year and the kind of the last three years so you know i'm 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 fine with the leafs getting uh grandland uh he's not one of the elite guys he can probably top slot into that top six now is he a big upgrade on the way alex galchenyuk's playing right now no but is alex galchenyuk gonna kind of keep producing that that's kind of up for debate yeah, he'd kind of be some injury insurance, some extra depth, but he's not a huge upgrade over even Alex Kerfoot at this point. Like he's a no. he's a solid middle six player, but he's not a guy I'm giving up our first round pick for. If Nashville's willing to let him go for a second rounder for some some kind of lower level package, then sure, he'd be good depth. But to be honest, if we left the deadline and all we got was Michael Granlund, I'd be pretty disappointed. Yeah, it's it's not a horrible move if that's the only thing the Leafs do, but it's definitely not on my list of, uh, of things that I'd love to do. He's a, yeah, like you said, he's not really much of an upgrade on Kerfoot. He probably provides a little bit more offense and a little bit worse defense. Um, but yeah, I would like there's the Leafs package from Michael Graham that shouldn't be that high. No, exactly. And moving on to another, uh, tier two guy that's Ricard Raquel. Now he's 27 years old. He's getting 3.8 million this year and next. He's a solid middle, like he's a solid second line player. He's he's shown first line flashes in the past. I think he had 70 points one year, but he's just not that right now. He's he's had 22 points in 36 games this year, good possession numbers. But from the prices that I've heard when uh Anaheim is asking for him, it sounds like a complete no-go for me. Yeah, I don't know if those rumors were just Anaheim throwing numbers out to try and, you know, boost up his price. But I've been hearing a first round pick and an not only an A-level prospect, but an NHL-ready prospect. Whereas if you're any team with an NHL-ready prospect, someone who can jump into your lineup and you know at least make somewhat of an impact, you're not trading for Ricard Wackel. There's there's no point. He's you know he's a fine hockey player. He's a good probably middle six player, 
but at that price, there's just no chance I'm even touching him. Yeah, like he would he would definitely look good on that second line for sure. But I'm not I'm not giving anything more than I'd give to get Taylor Hall for him. And to be honest, even though he has that extra year, I would take Taylor Hall over him. Like Taylor Hall is just clearly an elite level player, whereas Raquel is just you know, he's good, but he's not he's not a game breaker like the other guys we talked about earlier are. So I like and and when you consider that Andreas Janssen, who had 40 points for the Leafs in the past, who put up similar numbers to what what Raquel is putting up this year. I know it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison because Raquel has a, a much better track record. But all we got for him at a similar cap hit was Joey or Joey Anderson. And yeah, I mean, that's yeah, not exactly that's at, not exactly yeah. a first round. If you if you want to count if they want an NHL ready player like Joey Anderson and a first, then sure. Yeah, we'll do that. But if you're talking to an NHL-ready guy like Sandine or Liljegren, absolutely not. Yeah, that that's kind of where that price for Raquel just it blows my mind a little bit. And I think it's just one of those ones where the Leafs probably made the call, say, hey, you know, his contract's nice, 27, gets that extra year, a little bit, again, of Zach Hyman insurance in case Hyman's asking price is too high. Um, but as soon as hearing that number, the Leafs probably just hung up immediately, moved on, <laughs> and probably uh, got on the phone with Columbus. Yeah, because Columbus has Nick Felino available now. He's the exact kind of guy that that all of the typical uncles or the mainstream media would want. He plays with that grit. He plays with that intensity. And there's definitely a place for that in the game as well. He's very good defensively. Now he has slowed down. He's he's a bit of an offensive black hole at this point. He would be a kind of guy where if you're if you're trading for him, I know people say they would like to put him on that second line, and he might fit in there. But realistically, if, if we traded for Nick Felino, I would be looking at him to fill in that third line role where he's on the hem line. I don't know what we'd call it now. We'd call it the, the fem line with Felino. <laughs> but uh, it wouldn't have the same. It would be very similar defensively to what they'd have with Hyman out there. They just wouldn't have that offensive pop where Zach Hyman's beating guys in the neutral zone and creating odd man rushes. It's, it's just going to be more of a defensive, give him 10 to 12 minutes a night, let him shut it down for a bit. Maybe he slides the line up the lineup if Galchenyuk doesn't work out, but he's he's definitely an interesting piece. Yeah, like I don't want to sit here and say that Nick Felino's garbage because he's clearly provides some defensive kind of stability. And him, McKayev, and Engvall, that would be a very interesting shutdown line. Maybe a nice matchup against, you know, Connor McDavid, take a little bit of the minutes away from Matthews, not all of them. But, you know, a little bit, give them a little bit of a break and let them go and feast on Jujar Kara's line. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think Nick Foligno is one of those guys who's just going to – his package is going to go up and up and people are going to overpay for him. And I just don't think it's worth the Leafs to overpay for Nick Foligno. Yeah, and also he's 33 years old, so he has slowed down a bit. He's getting $5 million this year, so there would – have to be some cap gymnastics to get him under there, whether that's Columbus eating half of it, taking another contract. So if we're talking about Felino and let's just leave the cap out of it, what would you give up to get him? Like what, what assets would you be willing to part with to put him on the team? Uh, I'm probably looking at about a third round and probably the lower half of those kind of mid range B prospects. That's my max. I feel like Nick Felino will get a little bit more from that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of why I said earlier, I just don't think the Leafs will end up getting Nick Felino because he'll just get kind of priced out. But I'm, I'm just not willing to give up a lot for Nick Felino. He is very, very good defensively, but it comes with zero offense. Yeah. He's one of those guys that you just see GMs 
slobbering over themselves to overpay on July 1st. And I feel like it's kind of the same logic at the deadline. I just, I could just see some team maybe in Edmonton or something like that being like, we need to get some grit into the lineup. We need some depth and being stupid and tossing them like a first or a second and a good prospect or something. So if the price gets to that range, it's absolutely a no-go for me. But if it's in a, if it's in a fair range, like where you're giving up B, a B-level asset or two, then sure. I, I would definitely consider it. Now, another guy, this he's a bit more of an interesting player from an offensive perspective is Kyle Palmieri. So he's he's a pretty good goal scorer. He's had 30, 25 to 30 goals in, I think, the last four years. So he's definitely shown an ability to put the puck in the net. And that's on an offensively inept team like New Jersey. So he's 29. He's going to be a free agent after the year. He's making $4.6 million, which... Like it's going to be with pretty much all of these guys, they're going to have to figure out something with the cap, whether that's retained salary or something like that. So this year he's got 15 points in 31 games, six goals. So a bit below average for him, but you could probably count on him bumping that up a bit on the second line. Yeah, he's probably a player who would score a lot more outside of New Jersey. He's had a positive course he impact on New Jersey the last five years. This year he's got a very slightly negative. His numbers are kind of down, whether that's his goals for uh, Corsi four defensively, he hasn't been great this year. Um, but this is still a player that is still a very, very capable kind of middle six um, player for the Leafs. Someone who I wouldn't mind looking at. He kind of is an intriguing little piece. I don't think the price would be crazy. I don't see him being like in that Nick Felino category where he's going to get overpaid because there's lots of GMs that feel like that's the missing piece. Um, but I have heard rumors that he might have Canada on his no trade list, which is another thing to kind of think about any kind of American team players coming. Uh, now the Canadian government and the NHL did work it out. So the quarantine is only a week now. So maybe, you know, some guys that weren't willing to come over before have changed their minds on that. Now that they only have to sit out a week. That's yeah. Look at Eric Stahl. He was one of those guys. Yeah, exactly. So that's something to think about the Kyle Palmieri, no Canada rumor is definitely true. So that is an issue, but yeah, I, I'd be interested in Kyle Palmieri, throw him on that third line, uh, give him and Angval, someone who can score some goals on that line. Um, yeah, I think Kyle, Kyle Palmieri is a nice piece. Yeah. It's another one of those prices, right? Kind of guys where I'm not going to overpay for him. I'm certainly not considering giving any of the top four prospects, but if you look at it as like a second round pick and a, and a, and a mid-level prospect, I would definitely consider it. He excites me more than a, than a Grandland would just because he brings that scoring, which I think would be so mm-hmm. valuable. And he's, he's clearly somebody you would slot in, in that top six. So he would be a very interesting piece. Now the next guy, he, he would definitely cost a lot more in terms of assets, but he is a very good player. And that's Connor Garland of the Arizona Coyotes. He's, he also would slide in perfectly from a cap perspective because right now he's only making three quarters of a million dollars. He's 25 years old and he's a restricted free agent after the year. So the Leafs would, it's basically like acquiring a guy with term because he would probably yeah. sign with the Leafs or they would trade him off for an asset after the year. I, I really, really like the idea of picking up Connor Garland. Like we said earlier, Taylor Hall's our number one. I think my number two is Connor Garland. He's on a basically league minimum contract, so you don't have to worry about any kind of cap gymnastics with that. Pick up Connor Garland and Antti Ranta, Darcy Kemper, throw Fred Anderson if Arizona's not on his no trade clause or his no trade list over, and your salaries are even. The Leafs don't have to do anything crazy. They don't have to spend extra assets on retaining. They can just add those extra assets to acquiring Connor Garland. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, 
Yeah, for sure. And he falls right into that class of guys too, where it kind of gives you the the Hyman insurance where if the price of, for Zach Hyman gets out of control, if Edmonton decides, hey, we're going to throw $6 million a year for six years at this guy, you have that fallback option where you have another clear top six winger. He's an RFA and usually they get underpaid. So you could probably get him for a good deal. Now this year, he's really been playing well. He had 26 points in his first 34 games this year. He's a very positive possession player. He's like an extremely positive possession player. Uh, he's, he's got a 6.6% Corsi rel, which means he has the puck 6% more of the time than his team does while he's not on the ice. So mm-hmm. he's clearly a high impact player and he would fit in perfectly with Willie Nylander. Maybe a couple of possession lords. So that line would probably never let the other team touch the puck. And he's got the finishing ability too. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at, you know, kind of doing just a little scrape under the surface on that possession, he uh, he's at 57% high danger Corsi four when he's on the ice too. So he's not only has that possession, but he's getting that puck into the kind of the high danger areas that, you know, lead to goals. And like we kind of have talked about in previous podcasts and even a little bit tonight, that's something the Leafs do on offense. So it's another guy that can just slide in there and just really fit in perfectly with what the Leafs like to do. Another bonus on Connor Garland is that he is good at drawing penalties. Now I know this is kind of one of those hot topics because it doesn't necessarily matter because the penalties are going to be even anyways, but having game management, baby. Hey, Tim Peel, Tim Peel, baby. Um, But yeah, having another guy in the Leafs that can maybe draw a few more penalties is always a bonus as well. Now, whether the refs are going to allow that to be a positive that's up for debate. Well, it's handy if, if you're late in a tie game and he he draws one of those tripping penalties where the ref's like, oh, I can't game manage this. Yeah. I actually have to call a whistle in the last five minutes of a close game. <laughs> so it, it could be a handy little asset to have if our power play can recover. Now, he's actually, a nice thing about him too is a lot of his offense is at even strength. So he's not yeah. a heavily reliant on the power play. So he would really be a valuable piece because like we said, although the power play is struggling, we have the assets where we don't need somebody to come and revitalize the power play. It's more of a structural thing, repetitions, whatever it might be. So with that being said, I personally, given his age, given the fact that he's a restricted free agent, we'd have control over him. I would definitely consider giving one of our top four prospects for him. How would you feel about that? I think I would do that. So basically how I look at it is it's tough. I I would give a top four prospect as long as there has already been a conversation with his agent about what Connor Garland is looking Mm -hmm. for in free agent, because if Connor Garland and Zach Hyman are both looking for 7 million free agency, then I I just don't think you can add Connor, Connor Garland as well. But if he's looking for a reasonable number, I think there's no real issue with maybe giving up either Nick Robertson. I'd hope, I'd hope Lilligren, um, just because Nick Robertson has just a little bit more potential. But if you're looking at it, you're basically just getting a five, like a five-year older Nick Robertson. And the Leafs are in very much a win now, right now window. Now that ELC is obviously going to be a big value for Robertson, but you're getting a very good player in Connor Garland, who honestly, you probably hope Nick Robertson turns into a Connor Garland, maybe with a couple more goals if you're lucky. But you're just getting a basically a ready-made hockey player. As long as the price is going to be right in free agency, I'd be willing to give that up. If you know it's just a pure rental for Connor Garland, then you're going to move on from him in the summer. He's probably not willing, like super jazzed about that. But then I'm just I'm not willing from a Leafs perspective to give up one of those top four guys. 
Yeah, I, for sure. If if we can get him for for a reasonable contract, and I would definitely be willing to part with a top prospect because at the end of the day, you do have to give to get something. And when you're in a cup window like this, if you can if you can expedite that second liner in Nick Robertson, and instead of having Nick Robertson as a second liner in two years, you get that right now when you're in the middle of your cup window. Mm-hmm. I think you definitely do it. Now, there's another guy who's kind of been rumored, although he has been rumored to be coming close on a contract with Vancouver and that's Tanner Pearson. He falls more into that middle six third liner kind of guy where maybe you put him on that hemline in Hyman's place and you hope he can give them a bit of that offensive punch because he is a solid defensive player. Like he's, he doesn't have bad possession impacts. Um, and he definitely offers more by the way of offense than a, than a Nick Foligno would. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I like how you did mention Nick Foligno there because I think Tanner Pearson, if he doesn't re-sign in Vancouver before the deadline, is going to be another one of those players that GMs are going to overpay for just based on reputation, the fact that he was on those uh, LA Kings teams and stuff like that. But yeah, he's a decent possession player, provides you know decent offense. He's not going to get shelled in defensively, slot in onto that third line. I don't know if he'll really crack the top six unless, you know, kind of um, Alex Galchenyuk takes a dive. But yeah, if the price is, I mean, but he is nice insurance there, yeah, right? Like if like, something happens. Yeah. Like with everyone, if the price is right that we're talking about tonight, I'm okay with doing it. He's just not one that kind of excites me as much as some of the other guys we've talked about, but he's not a bad hockey player and he would be a nice little fit on that third line. Yeah, definitely. And he, he has scored 20 goals in the past. Like he does have that bit of scoring punch to him and he's only 28. So it's not like he's really lost, lost it. He's just, he's shooting. He's only got six goals so far this year in 33 games. But if you look at his shooting percentage, it's only 8%. His career average is around 12. So he probably should have a couple more goals. So he would, he would kind of provide a little bit of scoring punch. Ideally, if you make that trade, it's probably in a scenario where you didn't get Taylor Hall. So Galchenyuk is probably your second liner. Mm-hmm. So like I said, you are looking at him as a bit of scoring punch on that third line, which I would definitely be welcome to at the right place. I'm not giving, I'm not giving a first rounder for it. I'm definitely not giving a top prospect, but if they want a third and a prospect second, whatever it might be, he's definitely an interesting player to look at if Vancouver and him can't come to terms. Yeah. I kind of see Taylor Pearson. I don't like, I don't think Vancouver would say yes to this, but being as like a nice swap for an Alex Kerfoot where Alex Kerfoot is good defensively, but doesn't provide much offense. Whereas if you can throw Tanner Pearson on that line with um, Angval and Mikhail, then you just have someone a little bit better at generating offense as opposed to like Kerfoot on that line. So I think that's that kind of idea in my head makes sense to the Leafs. Now you would have to add that. I wouldn't add too much, but yeah, that's kind of where I see Tanner Pearson fitting on this Leafs team. And with regards to Kerfoot, you know Jim Benning would just be chomping at the bit to get an opportunity to pay a, a third or fourth liner $3.5 million a year. That's, just, that's right in his wheelhouse. Oh. Now on to the probably the ideal guy out of these second-tier guys, and that's Alex Iafalo of the Los Angeles Kings. He's 27 years old. He's only making $2.5 million, so not many gymnastics required to get him under the cap, and he's a free agent after the year. Now, if you look at this guy, if you look at his numbers, if you look at his impacts and from everything, from the way he actually plays, he is a Zach Hyman light. And that might even be disrespecting him a bit to call him a light version of Zach Hyman. He's been very good offensively over his career. He has 97 points in 184 games over the last three years. He's got 21 points in 32 games this year. 
His possession numbers are very strong. His offensive impacts are good. His defensive impacts are good. He's a versatile guy where just like Hyman, you say he can go to the first line, second line, third line, fourth line. It doesn't matter. He will do it. And like you, it might kind of a theme today is he would be some good Hyman insurance. If you, if you get to free agency and you see Hyman's kind of getting that Toronto media bump, driving his price up to 6 million, when you can get a, a two years younger and almost equal version of him in, in I follow, who's probably not going to be asking for much more than four, 4 million, something like that. Yeah, I think just to address that we keep bringing up Hyman insurance, both of us don't want to get rid of Zach Hyman. We love Zach Hyman. We think he's a fantastic hockey player. We think he's had great, great impacts on the Leafs this year and years previous. However, if Zach Hyman is asking for an outrageous contract, we just think it's wise to maybe move on from him. As unfortunate as it would be, and as much as I would miss him and I would cry, I think it would be wise to just not you know, not go crazy on him in the market and a player like Alex, I follow and a couple of the other ones that we talked about earlier would be just a nice bit of insurance for that. And like, if he does ask for the sun and the moon, I don't blame him at all. He's, he's been getting, he's been severely underpaid the last couple of years. He's only making 2 million right now. He's 29 years old. This is his last chance to get a big contract. So I'm all for that for him. It's just, we've seen it so many times with guys that are 29 that play his rough and tumble style where yeah, they look good when they're 29, but all of a sudden they become David Clarkson and they fall off a cliff and they're, they play I don't, less than 100 games on the course of a seven-year contract. So I, he has just real potential for that to happen. Whereas if, if you even give a similar contract to Ayafalo, he's 27. Those, those two years are prime years. So it, it'd be a lot safer bet than Hyman. But here's hoping that uh, the MLSE can make a, make a $10 million investment into uh, Hyman's gaming company or something like that. And Hyman <laughs> takes a sweet little discount. Yeah, for the it's boys. a nice little hometown with a little, you know, on the side. Little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and uh, off we go. Hey, maybe maybe his dad's real estate company gets uh, gets a little bit of an investment as well. Oh, but yeah, yeah, as far as Alex, I follow. We kind of covered it. I think a fantastic option for the Leafs. That third line of Iafalo, McKayev, and Angball would be very, very nice shutdown line. Yeah, and he's a guy where I would definitely be willing to give more to get him than I would to get Felino. If you're if you can get him for even a second and a prospect, or if you can try to get him for anything but that first, but if you even have to give up the first, if Taylor Hall has already been traded and you can't get anybody else and you just have that first sitting there and you need an impact piece, I think he's the guy I'd probably target with that piece. Yeah, and this is a guy too that there's definitely been rumors to the Leafs. So this one, I I see this one being very, very realistic. um, Yeah, especially with LA falling out of the playoff race recently. Now the next guy, is Mike Hoffman. He's uh, he's only on a one-year deal. He's 31. He's been healthy scratched by St. Louis. So putting two and two together, it seems like they'd likely be willing to trade him. Now he was a consistent 30-goal scorer. He even got 29 last year. And he's a good point producer, but there are some questions to his game. Yeah, this is one that we just kind of put on the list because, yeah, he was a healthy scratch a couple weeks ago. And we kind of noticed that, oh, like, you know, 30-goal scorer, he's available. Let's Let's do a little deep dive. And then we did a deep dive, and I got to say, I'm less than impressed with Mike Hoffman. Uh, looking this year, like goals for, expected goals for, Corsi four per 60, like all kind of those offensive metrics, they're all down. His defense is not horrible this year, but it's not good. And then even if you kind of peel back the layers and look at years prior, he's 
he's basically just a power play merchant and 5v5 he's definitely lacking a little bit yeah like every like he had a really good year in 2017 where he was making impacts at five on five but if you look at every year since it's it's not pretty from a from a play driving perspective so he's got a great shot he can put the puck in the net he would he Mm -hmm. would technically help the power play but the power play is not an issue that I'm actually so concerned about that I'd, I'd be willing to pay a price for that. So I, I would, I would consider taking him if it was like an, like a third round pick and that's it. Like I, I would not give, and if, if St. Louis is retaining, like I'm yeah, not. We, yeah. We're looking at Mike Hoffman for a middle pick, maybe a kind of low BC level prospect, maybe. And St. Louis is eating 2 million of that. And we have him on our third, fourth line to play the second power play. Yeah, like if he's ripping if he's ripping shots with Jason Spezza on the fourth line, sure. But I just don't I don't think that's a realistic thing. I think if St. Louis is is trading him, they probably want the other team to eat the cap because they're a cap team themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't think it's realistic. Yeah, now, I think the, sorry, I think this was one worth kind of mentioning just because of his situation. But I just on the surface it looks great, right? Yeah, I just don't think it's one as you kind of peel back the layers that the Leafs are going to be interested in. No, now another one this. This one was kind of one that we just, we were looking at potential guys. We looked and we're like, Dustin Brown has 21 points in 31 games this year. (laughs) And he's only locked up for one more year. And he brings that piss and vinegar that everybody loves. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. So we did a bit of a deeper dive into the numbers. And sure enough, his possession numbers are good this year. Fantastic. But if you, but if you look at it, if, if you, if you take a deeper dive and you look at his numbers with and without Anze Kopitar, that's when things start to fall off a cliff for him. So his he's getting 55% of the possession when he's on the ice with Kopitar. And you think, wow, that's awesome. But then you look at him without Kopitar, it goes down to 38%. So he seems like a guy that's probably getting carried. He's aging. He's he's making six million. Even if you get him at half retained at three million, I think he's I think he's a little bit too washed up for my taste. Yeah, I think this is another one that looked really, really good on the surface. And then we just kind of looked at who he played with. We're like, oh, Kopitar. Let's take a look at him without Kopitar. And we're like, oh, okay. Like, we, we see what happened here. And now the Leafs do have the players that could kind of drag up Dustin Brown like a Kopitar. However, do we really want to spend big assets, cap space on a player that needs to be dragged up like that? Personally, no. Now, you did say piss and vinegar and, you know, he would add that to the Leafs and it would be kind of fun to watch Dustin Brown just going crazy in the playoffs. But I think there's just better options to spend that cap space and spend those assets on uh, than Dustin Brown. Yeah. If we're giving LA anything, it's gotta be for Aya follow. Now the next guy, he's uh he's a younger guy, so he probably would cost a bit more, but he has kind of been in the rumor, the rumor mill and that's Troy Terry of Anaheim. Yeah, absolutely. This one is one of the ones where we put on because of the rumor mill and then we looked at him and I really, really like Troy Terry. I think he's a really, really nice looking young player. I believe he's asked for a trade and there was rumors about a Troy Terry for Jake Vertanen deal um, that couldn't get done. I don't know why it couldn't get done. I think it was on Vancouver's side. They probably had to add something that they weren't willing to, but Troy Terry is fantastic. Um. He, he does, you know, not provide a crazy amount of offense at this point, but defensively, he's very, very solid. And that's something you usually can't say about a 23-year-old. Yeah, and he's making, he's making such a small amount of money that he'd be so easy to fit under the cap. So if he's a guy you could get for a, 
for a good deal because of the fact that he's requested a trade or that Anaheim wants to get rid of him for some reason, he would definitely be an interesting fit on that third line. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the more I look at Troy Terry, the more I like it. Again, we're not giving up a first round pick. We're not giving up a top prospect for him, but at the right price, I think it's a very nice option for that Leafs kind of third line. And he's only 23. So maybe in the next couple of years, he can grow up and, you know, slot into that top six at a, you know, a bit of a cheaper price. Okay, so now that we've looked at the uh, potential forwards that the Leafs could go after, let's look at another D. Now, keeping in mind that, like we said, the top six is pretty well set. We would just be looking for a guy who wouldn't mind being a seventh defenseman for now, maybe rotate him in the odd game, and then have him as a break glass in case of emergency guy. So the first guy that I potentially look at would be Nick Jalmerson of Arizona. Now, he's making $5 million a year, so Arizona would definitely have to eat at least half of that. But over the course of his career, he's been a very, very good defensive player. Now, he is definitely getting up there in age at this point, and he has fallen off a little bit. But his defensive impacts are still very good. He's still very good at suppressing shots. He just offers you less than nothing offensively. Now, partially, I'm sure that's because I think he starts about 65% of his shifts in the defensive zone. And he's been that kind of guy his whole career. So as far as adding him as a depth defenseman, and maybe even if if in certain games, if you just kind of wanted to add a shutdown element to the team and just give him minutes against the tough guys, maybe with the hemline and just not even try to generate any offense, just purely lock it down, he could be an interesting guy. Yeah, I think he's kind of an upgrade on Travis Dermott. He's that kind of player. He's good defensively, good in his own zone, but is going to provide you zero offense. Um, yeah, that $5 million would definitely take a little bit of kind of wiggling around, but maybe, you know, the top six forward the Leafs get is Connor Garland, who makes under a million. Then that way, the only if the only salary Arizona has to eat is that 2.5, that brings it up to about $3 million, um, or $3.5 million. That's very much reasonable for the Leafs to kind of obtain. And that's Kerfoot's money. That's uh, Yeah, you send Kerfoot the other way and the money's there. And we're fine, you know. So I think it is very doable for the Leafs. It might be, you know, take a little bit more kind of wiggling around. But yeah, it's a clear upgrade for the kind of the bottom of the six. And then you have Travis Dermott as a depth piece, or you play Travis Dermott on the other side if he's comfortable, or have Bogosian as a depth piece. But yeah, I, I like Nick, Nick Jalmerson kind of in that role. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind getting another defenseman just to kind of rotate some guys in and out. Like even Muzzin, Brody, like let, rotate those guys out for the rest of the year just to make sure they're fresh for the playoffs because it's pretty much every other night from here on in. So if we can get Muzzin, get Riley, get one of these guys a night off, keep them fresh, keep Jalmerson or whoever it may be engaged, it could be a really smart move. Now, I, I don't think the cost on him would be too, too high either. Um, you, like as far as a guy like that, I wouldn't be willing to give much more than a third or something like that. But third mm-hmm. and a fifth, something in that area definitely would be worthwhile considering, especially if we, uh, if we sustain an injury in the playoffs, we'll be very thankful we did. Now, moving on to another guy. Uh, we have Troy Stetcher. So he plays for the Red Wings. He would definitely be a depth guy. He makes $1.5 million for this year and next. So he's not, not a pricey guy. He's not going to require any, any cap shuffling, anything like that. And mm-hmm. he's had pretty positive impacts over his career. This year has been a bit of a down year. He's not creating much offensively. His expected goals for are low. His, his uh, Corsi for, so he's not generating many shots while he's on the ice. But his defensive impacts are solid. He's suppressing shots a goal against. He's suppress, suppressing goals against. 
And all while doing that on the Red Wings, as far as a $1.5 million depth guy, I, I would say you can't ask for much more than that. No, I think this one out of all the guys we're going to talk about is my kind of favorite guy to add on the defense. Um, I know I read some tweets earlier on in the year saying that a lot of Troy Stetcher's kind of stats are down because he's carrying so much of the load for that Detroit defensive core um, that he's just being stretched a little bit thin and everyone around him is just not up to par. Um, so, yeah, so adding Troy Stetcher is a definite, definite upgrade on Zach Bogosian. And I'd, yeah, at that price, it's hard to say no. I think he'll cost a little bit more asset-wise because he is um, locked up for that extra year. I would love a Troy Stetcher deal at the deadline. Yeah, again, it's a guy I wouldn't give an asset to the level of a second rounder for him. But, ah, well, given that ours could be uh, 31st this year, I might be, or 32nd now that Seattle's there, I might be willing to consider something like that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, he's not a guy you're going to give a premium asset for, but he could be a guy where you get to round three against Tampa and Jake Muzzin gets injured again or something like that, and you're like, thank God we traded for Troy Stetcher. Yeah, Troy Stetcher's playing top four minutes, I believe, in Detroit. So he is definitely a guy that can handle a little bit more of a load up the lineup. Uh, him and Travis Dermott would be a fantastic third pairing. He's an upgrade on Bogosian. He comes cheap. I think he's a very much a player that the Leafs should definitely look at at acquiring at the deadline. He's a right-handed shot, uh, too. So in case, you know, a Justin Hall goes down to TJ Brody, we have a little bit more cover there. Uh, yeah, not much to kind of say bad about a Troy Stetcher deal aside from, you know, maybe the price being high, but even that, I don't think it's going to be too, too much of an issue. Um, yeah, maybe we throw in a Jonathan Bernier to get a nice backup goalie there and, you know, send a nice little package to Detroit and yeah, covers a couple needs that the Leafs have. Yeah. And then if you're not using that much cap on those two, we can still go for our buddy Taylor. Now, another guy who's uh, he's getting paid more and he would probably command more of a role with the team, but that's Ryan Murray of New Jersey. He's making four and a half million. So again, cap gymnastics, we've said it a thousand times, but if you can get him in there, he's had very positive defensive impacts for most of his career. This year has been a bit of a down year. Um, his expected goals against are, are pretty high. So he's given up quite a few scoring chances, things like that. But New Jersey as a whole has been struggling all year. But if you dig into the past years, he's he's had good shot suppression numbers. He's had good possession of the puck. He's even shown some offense in some years. Now, if, if that's a, as a depth guy, he's a great ad. And again, if somebody gets injured, just another one of those guys. All of these guys kind of fit the same mold where if he's in your top four, you're panicked. If he's in your bottom pair, you're totally fine with it. And if he's your seventh defenseman, you're definitely happy. Yeah, absolutely. Another kind of upgrade on Travis Dermott. And they're just similar players, but Ryan Murray's definitely a little bit better. Uh, yeah, I think this one is, you know, definitely a bit more cap gymnastics, but you are getting a very, very solid defender. He was very good against the Leafs last year in the kind of playing round. So there's a little bit of, you know, scar tissue there. But yeah, fantastic player. Upgrade on Travis Dermott. Moves Travis Dermott into being your kind of seventh piece there, which is, you know, not a problem at all. No, for sure. And then another guy, similar mold, similar price, actually, five and a half million. So again, they're going to have to eat a ton, but it would be Alex Goligoski. Now he is playing for Arizona as well. Again, he's just a very mid-level impact guy. He's slightly above average in pretty much everything this year, except power play, which we don't care about. He's, uh, you know, he's generated like they're generating scoring chances while he's on the ice at an average rate, suppressing shots at an average rate. So he just gives you that average defensive play, which is perfectly fine. He's 35 years old. He's not the defenseman he used to be. 
But again, another depth guy, same thing. You'd give a third, you'd give a fifth, you'd give, you know, some BC level assets and you'd be happy to get them. Yeah, absolutely. I think Alex Golgowski is kind of the most well-rounded defender that we've talked about up until this point. He, you know, boosts your offense a little bit, but he also uh, boosts your defense a little bit as well. Nothing to the extreme, but he's just this nice, solid player. Uh, Cap is quite high, but again, if you're not going after a Taylor Hall, a big name, a big salary like that, then there is some room for the Leafs to do that. For sure. And then now the next two guys, these are kind of the big fish on the market. Uh, one of them is more likely to move than the other. The first one is Matthias Ekholm of Nashville. Like we said earlier with Forsberg, they've played their way into the playoffs where if I'm Nashville, I'm not trading him unless I'm getting the farm. And if I'm the least, there's no way I'm giving it for, for Ekholm. Now he isn't like, he is an excellent, excellent defenseman. He has great offensive impacts. He's had solid defensive impacts over his career. He's a clear, clear top forward defenseman and probably somebody I would prefer to a Morgan Riley just because he's a bit safer in his own end. So if we were working out some big kind of deal to do a Riley for, for Ekholm type deal, I would be down, but that's a conversation for another day. It's not, it's simply not realistic. And if we're trading for him without including a guy like Riley, you're looking at a Nick Robertson. You're looking at one of those top prospects. Yeah, I think this one has just worked its way into a no no real conversation for Nashville. They're probably not looking at moving him for talks. Even they want to keep him and maybe move Ryan Ellis. So I don't see Nashville moving him unless there's just a ridiculous package. Maybe in the summer it's something to address. Um, yeah, in terms of like... In terms of the player, like Matias Ekholm, I think is exactly what the Leafs need on defense. He's very much in that like kind of Jake Muzzin mold of defenseman, where he he still provides that offensive value, but it doesn't come at the cost of like your own zone and defense. Whereas Morgan Riley, he provides offensive value, but he is so negative defensively that it almost doesn't even offset. Whereas, yeah, Matthias Ekholm, he still is going to boost that offense. Maybe not quite to the extreme as Morgan Riley, but he's not going to sacrifice defense. So I think he is a perfect kind of top four defenseman on the Leafs with TJ Brody, with Jake Muzzin, with Justin Hall. That would just be an elite, elite defense core. But I think the way the season's gone, this isn't even re- remotely realistic at this point. No, if it's a if it's a trade Nashville is willing to entertain where you're not giving up a ton, obviously we would be 100% for it. He's locked up for less than 4 million for this year and next. He would give you the ability to to have flexibility to trade a Riley in the offseason or something. But yeah, it's just it's just not realistic at this point with the way Nashville is playing. Now, another guy who is looking more and more likely by the day to get traded, David Savard because Columbus just lost twice in a row to Detroit. So, I think that's kind of the when you need to tip your cap on the season. Yeah, that's a um, tough one. He's in a similar price range. He's making $4.25 million. He's probably a top four defenseman. Certainly not a guy I would pay a lot for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, David Savard is almost like just a bit of an improvement on Justin Hall. Um, I don't even know if he is, man. I don't. I certainly hasn't been this year. Yeah, I, he's definitely, I think, better in his own zone than Justin Hall. Playing with Jake Muzzin, I, I just I don't see him being cheap enough for the Leafs to get him as a depth defenseman. So that's what you're looking at. And then either moving Justin Hall out in that trade as kind of a salary movement. And again, that's something probably the Leafs aren't thrilled about. Uh, so yeah, Davis Fard, he's good defensively. Doesn't provide really any offense. Um, 
yeah, he's been just, he's been an offensive black hole this year. Just looking at it, his uh, it, like his expected goals for when he's on the ice are very low. His defensive mm-hmm. impacts are still good, but now that's that's the Columbus effect, right? And Justin Hall, like you mentioned, is being propped up by Jake Muzzin. You've seen it with Drew Doughty. He probably wasn't the Norris defenseman that whole time. It was a little more uh, Jake Muzzin than anything. Mm-hmm. So you are kind of you would expect him to probably flourish in Toronto, but yeah, it's uh. It would probably be a bit of a steep price. Like Columbus is probably going to try to get a first rounder or something, and it's definitely not an area where we're trying to uh, trying to improve the most. Yeah, I just like he's not really in that depth defenseman mold. That's kind of why I said he is kind of your improvement. Might have been way too strong of a word, but kind of your replacement for Justin Hall fit in that top four. Again, another one of those guys kind of in that Felino category where I think he's just going to get overpaid because that's what teams are you know, think they need at the deadline. They need that grit, that toughness, that defensive tenacity. So I think he'll get priced out of the Leafs, but he is heavily rumored. He's on, you know, the TSN trade bait list. So I think it was worth kind of highlighting. I just don't see it as a great fit for the Leafs. No, like if we're talking what we'd give up for him, if Columbus were willing to to eat half of it, sure. I'd, I'd give him a second rounder and a prospect for sure. Yeah, like, is I'd, that something that Columbus is going to accept? Absolutely not. So yeah. if the, it, it would have to be at a discount discounted package, just like a lot of these defenders. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much all of the defensemen that are remotely realistic that have kind of been rumored. So with that said, we definitely would love to see a depth guy added for a, for a lower price. Now we're going to get into a little segment. We like to call the list of shame. So these guys are rumored to the Leafs, usually by your Dave Poulins, your Anthony Stewart's, your guys who love that old school hockey, who don't exactly know analytics, who yeah. are guessing that Kyle Dubas would do something that Kyle Dubas has never done before. So do you want to get into the first one, Lebda? Yeah, so I've, I've seen this one. I've seen a couple guys say that this is a guy that Leafs should absolutely target because of face-offs. Uh, Luke Glendening from the Detroit Wet Rings, like, the only thing he's good at is faceoffs. Other than that, he's he's just not he's not a good hockey player. He's gonna get over Edmonton's gonna give up a second rounder for him. We don't we don't need to talk about it. We can just move on from here. Like there's no way Kyle Dubas is looking at Luke Glendening. Although I gotta say, I saw a uh, about a one and a half minute clip of him winning faceoffs from the Red Wings broadcast, and I was like, I was I was on jersey.com ready to order my Luke Glendening Leafs jersey, but no, if we're talking put a, put real A on it too. If we're talking realistically, his offensive impact is terrible. His defensive impact is not good. Now, some of those numbers are skewed by the fact that he is what you would call a Fogo, which is the face-off get-off guy. So if mm-hmm. you have a defensive face-off, you're gonna put him out there because he's likely to win it. And then anytime he loses that draw, that's that's hurting his numbers. But with that being said, you just watch him play. You, he clearly doesn't have skill. We have we have enough of those guys on the fourth line. Faceoffs are not as important as some media members would like you to believe. Sure, it's nice to win them, especially on a penalty kill, but it's not at the end of the day, it's it's not that important. And it's certainly not not, o- not only is it not worth paying the asset, it's not worth taking out one of our better pl- like if you're putting Glenn Denning in, are you taking out a Thornton? Are you t- like those guys are better than him? That's the th- we already have Jason Spezza. Jason Spezza has been fantastic at, at faceoffs this year. And Jason Spezza provides great offense for the minutes he plays. So why would you go and get a like a way worse Jason Spezza when you already have that? 
yeah, it makes no sense. Now, another guy, the, uh, the grit and grind, the shame of all shame is Sam Bennett, a former third, fourth overall pick. He's got the, he's got the pedigree. He's got the grit. He's got the playoff numbers. The only thing he doesn't have is skill. The man and is, that a is playoff why. player. He so, gets it done in the playoffs. So I remember a, about a month or two ago when he was on the market, I heard Nick Kiprios <laughs> suggest giving Nick Robertson and Kerfoot for him. And I was like, I wouldn't trade Kerfoot straight up. Like this guy, sure, he might hit people once in a while, but he probably hits them more because they have the puck the whole time he's on the ice. So his his offensive impacts are very poor. His defensive impacts are very poor. If if he's a fourth liner making making 700,000, do you like him on your team? Absolutely. Is he a guy that you want for 2.5 million and who is probably costing you assets to get? Not a chance. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd give up my left shoelace for Sam Bennett to be honest. Like why would you waste that cap space on Sam Bennett? He's just he's he's a fourth line hockey player and not a great one and it's just it's just a classic case of people overrating a player because they're still stuck in like the 80s and 70s of them. And they're stuck into when he was drafted, right? You see a guy in the top five. Player. Yeah. It's- and Dubas does like, he does like those reclamation projects where a guy ha- like, look at Galchenyuk, a third overall pick who's mm-hmm. kind of fallen to the wayside. But it's, if you're giving me, if you're saying Sam Bennett is an unrestricted free agent and at least might sign him for, to a Wayne Simmons like contract, sure, I, I might be interested in it because he yeah. does. He has had years where he's had fair enough defensive impacts, fair enough offensive impacts, but never, never to warrant paying an asset and, and 2.5 million for him. So now let's move on to the big kahuna. So I had a tweet the other day. I was listening to the fan 590 and they had noted genius Anthony Stewart on. And he suggested that the Leafs defense depth was poor. And one of the guys he suggested <laughs> was possession legend Eric Goodbranson, the man who spends more time in his own zone than everybody has spent in quarantine over the last year. Hey, this guy is a big body. He clears the front of the net. He plays with tenacity. He is not afraid to drop the gloves. This is a heart and soul player. This is what the Leafs need. You know, we'll just ignore his horrible defense, his zero impact on offense. We'll just ignore that because he throws hands. Yeah, so he's just a complete non-starter. Like, if you look at his stats and you see his expected goals against, blue is good, red is bad. He is just a chart full of deep, deep red. He is he is so bad. Like, I don't think he would crack the top six of the Marlies. And he's another one of those guys who he was picked high back in the day when everybody's like, Luke Shen, great defenseman, led the league in hits. Yeah, because he never had the puck. He's one of those guys that falls into that category of draft pedigree. He's big. He hits. But he sucks. So he's a complete non-starter. He he legit might be the worst defenseman in the league. Like if Jack Campbell wasn't alive, or not Jack Campbell, Jack Johnson wasn't alive, like we'd probably be, you know, he'd be on that podium. Yeah. And then there's another guy kind of fits the same mold, tall, high draft pick, defensive defenseman, Mark Stahl. Now he's, he's basically not even a starter because he's making like 5 million. And I know, I know we said the Leafs have ways to finagle themselves into some extra cap space, 
But Mark Stahl is not the guy they're going to yeah, do can, that for. You can finagle your way into $5 million worth of cap space if that cap space is providing value for your team. But yeah, Mark Stahl, we kind of put on here because he's on the TSN trade bait list and like pretty high. I just, I don't understand why a team would want to trade for Mark Stahl at all. I know he's a UFA after this year, but he's making $5 million cap hit this year and he's not really an NHL defenseman at this point. Yeah, just just like we said with Good Branson, his chart is just a bunch of red bars. Which, which is not good. So that's a non-starter. Now, the last guy, I will say on that tweet from, or on that little uh, segment with Anthony Stewart, he said, good Branson or Coburn. And I heard Coburn. I was like, come on, he's terrible. So I did a bit of a dive into his stats. And sure enough, this year, he's not good. Um, he does redeem himself a bit as a seventh defenseman, though, because his impacts on Ottawa have been pretty poor this year. Like his expected goals against their lo- are pretty high and his his offensive impacts are about even so he's not actually that terrible and then he did play fairly well for Tampa at in that kind of seventh defenseman role so if you're if you're taking on a Braden Coburn and he's not going to cost you much in 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 the way of assets it's better than than what the Leafs did in 2013 for Ryan O'Byrne he's not a guy like that that's just going to completely sewer you but he's also not going to help you win but if if he's the only guy that's available as a seventh defenseman and all he costs is a is a fifth round pick. Sure. I, I, I would consider that. So Braden Coburn, you're off the list of shame. Welcome to the list of potential defense. You're the list of like, I'm not thrilled, but I'm not going to cry in my pillow at night. No, exactly. (laughs) All right. So that about does it for all of the players that we look at. Now we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to wrap up who we would ideally like to see. We're going to kind of put a top five list of what we hope the Leafs will do that is still, like, we're not going to say trade for Connor McDavid. We're going to do something that's actually in a bit of reality. Okay, so now we're going to get into our top five trade deadline targets, who we want that is at least somewhat realistic. Number one, you know who it is. It's Taylor Hall. He's an elite forward. He's at a an extremely low price for, for his talent level. He probably wants to come to Toronto and to the cherry on top is that you could probably get him in a deal with Allmark. Yeah, absolutely. If we're looking at Taylor Hall, he is a difference maker. All these players that, you know, or most of these players we talked about, all the ones on our top five, they're going to make an impact on your team. Taylor Hall is a difference maker. He's a player that can grab a game by the horns and drag your team. Um, into like a win or you know get get you out of a rough stretch like he is an absolute difference maker austin matthews maybe not having the greatest game john Tavares, william nylander any of those guys get hurt taylor hall has that ability to step in and absolutely take over for the leaves yeah he is he is far and away the number one if he gets traded for anything less than like if he gets that first rounder and a prospect package that wouldn't that would be less than us giving up one of our top four guys and we're not the team that does it i will be very disappointed to be honest now number two is alex iafalo aka zach hyman light the cost is about right it's not going to require too much on the salary cap we could be able to make that work and he is just so versatile he could fill the third line role he could fill a second line role he kind of gives you the insurance if Galchenyuk doesn't work on the second line, you put him there, or maybe you just start him there to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Another player that can have a fantastic impact on the Toronto Maple Leafs. He can play on lines one through three. Um, yeah, fantastic. Zach Hyman Light is just the perfect description for Aya Follow. Yeah, next on the list, the only reason he's this low is because the acquisition cost 
is probably a little bit higher and it's a little less likely because of the fact that he's a restricted free agent after the year. That's Connor Garland. Like we said, he can put up the points. He's good with possession. He just kind of, he checks all the boxes for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think as a player, I like Connor Garland better than I follow. I just think he's just a little bit unrealistic. I have heard rumors about him being in maybe some trades, but I think Connor Garland would be a fantastic addition. I just think it comes at a bit higher of a price. That's why we kind of lean towards Iafalo. The next guy on that priority list has to be Troy Stetcher. He's uh he's a pretty realistic candidate to acquire. I don't think he would cost much in terms of assets. His cap hits very low for this year and next. And he could easily step into that number seven defenseman role and could possibly even fill in in the top six. Yeah, I really like acquiring Troy Stetcher to play that number six defenseman with Travis Dermott on a pair. He's handling some more big minutes in Detroit right now. So moving him down, playing against lesser competition, I think he can really make him flourish and make him look a little bit more like he did in Vancouver Um, going forward. Yeah. And then you have Zach Bogosian as you kind of your seventh defenseman. If you need him in a series, he's there. He knows the leaf systems and he can just step right in. But yeah, Troy Stetcher is a really, really nice pickup at 1.5 million uh, for me. Yeah, and like we said, it's not even wouldn't even have to be a demotion for Bogosian. You could just go in with a revolving door of defensemen for the last, you know, month two of the year. And then it's good too, because if you sustain an injury and if you do that revolving door, then you kind of develop a bit of chemistry and you kind of see what would work in the case of certain guys getting injured. So it would be a good acquisition as long as the cost was low. Now, the last priority, and really we could probably put this number one because without this, it could all come crumbling down. And that is obviously a goalie. Yeah. The Leafs definitely need to address their goalie. I don't really foresee them um, going and getting themselves a new number one to replace Fred Anderson. I see them getting kind of a one B or a backup type goalie. The Nets, Jack Campbell's to lose, ride him. You just need a little bit of insurance in case he gets injured. Or, you know, if something happens in the playoffs and his play dips, you need someone that's going to step in and be able to at least get a job done for the Leafs. So the sole reason the Leafs aren't going to lose a playoff series is goaltending. Yeah, for sure. And if you look at the teams that have won the Cup, it's it's said over and over again, most teams that win the Cup go through two goalies at some point. So to have that insurance thing, especially when you know that your guys have been injured this year, it just makes too much sense. And actually, since we started recording this podcast, I saw a note that's uh, Elliot Friedman on a radio show in Buffalo said that the Leafs have inquired about Linus Allmark of Buffalo, which would be an excellent acquisition. We have, we've speculated about it earlier in the podcast and yeah, he would just really solidify that role. And it makes me kind of think that the Leafs may be planning an LTIR scheme with Anderson. Yeah. I think the Leafs know they need to acquire a goaltender. I think they're trying to keep things under wraps. One, so that they can LTIR Fred, you know, make sure that his injury is real, which it does seem it is. That doesn't seem like a fraud or anything. But also, too, if a team knows you're super desperate for something, they're going to jack that price up for you. So you kind of keep keep Fred in the mystery a little bit. Keep teams guessing that, oh, maybe Fred is going to come back in a week or two or a month or whatever, and the Leafs don't need a goalie. They're just looking for a third. The prices come down a little bit or at least don't skyrocket. So, yeah, I think there is a little bit of gamesmanship on the Leafs' part when it comes to that, but absolutely they need to address that situation. Yeah, because like you said, if we go into a playoff series and Campbell gets injured and we're forced to go to Freddie or Hutchinson and one of those guys becomes a pumpkin, which is totally possible, 
it's just going to be such a shame when you have a team this good, you cannot leave the most important position up to chance. And as although Campbell is very good, I feel like trusting and relying on only him is leaving it up to chance. Absolutely. Especially the way that injury has gone for him this year. Who knows? It could be something that just randomly flares up. All of a sudden, he can't play a couple games. And if you're stuck with, yeah, either Fred Anderson after being out for so long and not playing well for the last two years, or even worse, Michael Hutchinson, then you've just completely like ruined this entire year. And this year, like we said earlier, is one of your best shots to make it really deep in the playoffs. And you you, you can't have Michael Hutchinson ruining that for you. Oh, for sure. So basically coming out of this deadline, I think our minimum expectations would be acquire a goalie, acquire at least a top six winger, or sorry, a top nine winger at the bare, bare minimum. Hopefully those two guys could be Hall and Allmark. That's my ideal dream scenario. What about you, Lebda? Yeah, I think for me too, that's, that's ideal. If you can't get Taylor Hall, you know, you get priced out of him. I think I have follower Carno Garland, like we said earlier, is a good pick. But ultimately, Taylor Hall or die for me, to be honest. Well, that about wraps it up for the Buds All Day Trade Deadline Podcast. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed this. And uh, I know we certainly enjoyed recording it. And uh, yeah, 